Blog Talk Radio. Well, bless the Lord, everybody. This is Pastor Winfred Burns with the Word on Wednesday. And we have been um, traveling through the book of Second Samuel. If those of you who have been with us for a while know that we completed the book of 1 Samuel, and we decided to continue on into the book of 2 Samuel. And the overall study in these two books basically show, uh, number one, how Israel got to be a united nation, uh, and two, uh, it shows who is qualified to be king of Israel. And over the past several weeks, we have looked at David. As a matter of fact, last week, uh, David, after all of those years, was finally anointed king of all of Israel. And we watch what he did uh, after he was anointed king, how he immediately uh, began to show what a king does. First of all, he showed himself to be a spirit-filled king by the way he acted. He consulted God concerning all of the moves that he needed to make. He asked him, he says, hey, Lord, do I stay in Hebron or do I go up to one of the other cities in, uh, in, in Israel? And God told him to go up and told him where to go. Um, excuse me, it wasn't Hebron. He moved to Hebron and then he moved to Jerusalem. Um, and then the other thing that he does is in the battle against the Jebusites, he completes the work that Judah was supposed to have done, or Judah and Benjamin were supposed to have done, in clearing out the Jebusites from the land. third thing that he did was he began to go against the Philistines, um, and you saw the two victories that he had over them. And the two victories that he had over them were market victories simply because, remember, these same Philistines had routed Saul. And now they come to attack David when David is to be king. Uh, David showed him something. What he showed him was he showed him the power of God. Because unlike Saul, David immediately goes and he inquires of the Lord. Now, the last time we hear about Saul inquiring of the Lord, uh, he couldn't get a word from God. And he wound up going to the witch of Endor. Remember that? And shortly after that, he dies. Uh, but then now here's David who goes before the Lord and he gets a word from God. And he does great things uh, in bringing victory for Israel over the Philistines. And why is that important? Because this was a king that they had prayed for. They wanted a king that could lead them in and lead them out. And by God answering them, what God is showing them is, this is my anointed. This is the one that I choose. And the people had already confirmed that because if you go back into in that fifth chapter, it was the people that came to David after the death of, death of uh, Ishbosheth and Joab, or excuse me, not Joab, but Abner. And after they are dead and off the scene, um, what you see 
is you see the people saying, wait a second, hold it. This is the David that was that led us in and out into victory under Saul, when Saul was still the king. And this is the David that God has pronounced to be king. And so they confirmed and anointed him king, and he made a covenant with the people. And that's what we went through last week um, as we continue on our march toward understanding, number one, who is king and how is a king supposed to act, what are the functions of a king in Israel. And we further answered the question. We asked you a question that you had to answer, and that is, who is your king? Because we showed you the King Jesus, and we made the we made the comment that you know you have to select the king, and either your king is going to be a king of flesh like Saul, or it's going to be a, a man after God's own heart. It's going to be a man who is anointed by God. It's going to be someone who who uh, uh, follows hard after God and does what God says, and we find that in Jesus Himself. And so we select Jesus as our king, and we enthrone him, and we worship him as our king who delivered us from the power of sin and death. Bless the Lord. So that's that was last week. We're going to go into this week in a minute. As usual, what I want to do is I want to have a word of prayer. And then after we have this word of prayer, what I'd like us to do is I need you to give me a chance, just a brief second to invite some people to Christ, and then we'll plunge into tonight's lesson that's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. So bow your head with me for a minute as we pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come to say thank you. God, how we bless you and how we praise you for all that you have done. We bow to you tonight, O oh God. You are our king. We ask, O oh God, that you would feed us Till we want no more. We ask that you would lead us into green pastures. We ask, O oh God, that you would lead us along the straight and narrow path. We ask that you would lead us, O oh God, into truth. We ask, O oh Father, that you would bless us with the presence of your Holy Spirit, who does lead us into all truth, and give us the hearts and minds necessary to follow hard after your spirit tonight. Oh, God, how we thank you and how we praise you and how we bless you. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. And, Father, further, our prayer is that your people would be blessed by this word, that they would hear your voice speaking unto them, that your spirit would connect with them in such a way that they would be empowered and draw nearer to you, that they would walk even more upright uh, for you, that their lives would be enriched. Father, we pray tonight for for those who are listening for the first time, uh, and especially for those who don't know you. Father, reach them as only you can. Father, there are some who think that this is just pure foolishness, to get on the radio and get on Periscope. But, Father, your word has power. And we know that you, you can do exceedingly abundantly more than you think or we think or imagine. And so, God, we pray right now that this would be done to your glory. 
that saints would be strengthened, that sinners would be drawn unto you. Oh, how we bless you and we praise you. Now, oh God, empower your servant to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. To those of you out there who have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you don't know what he has done for you, let me just say this real quickly. Your sins are forgiven. And not only are your sins forgiven, but God loves you so much that he sent his son looking for you. For the Bible tells us that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I know that there's some of you out here right now that feel that you're absolutely lost. And not only do I tell you today that your sins are forgiven, but also I come to tell you that Jesus is looking for you. And even more, you're looking for him. You've tried all that other stuff and it just hasn't worked. And what you've been looking for is life. You've been looking for the life that God has for you that's wrapped up in Jesus Christ. And so tonight what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to understand that Jesus died for your sins. Your sins are paid for. You don't have to worry or or be upset about all the things that you've done or wondering what's going to happen to me. No, what's going to happen to you is if you can believe that Jesus died for your sins, and if you have the faith to confess that, you can become a child of the King tonight, this very moment. And all you got to do is say, and from your heart, and really believe it in your heart, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I ask him to be my Savior. And if you do that, if you pray that prayer, just like that, just just that brief, God will come unto you right now, and he will save you, and you become a child of God tonight. It's by faith that you get saved. It's by your confession that you get saved. And if you do that, if you've prayed that prayer, then what I want you to do is I say every week, you go find yourself a Bible-believing church. You go find yourself another Christian or a pastor or someone who knows Christ, and you tell them, look, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I've asked him to be my Savior, and I need to know more about this salvation. I need to understand you know, what is going on, or how, how this works. And they'll take you, and, and they will teach you, and they will love you, and they will help you grow as a Christian. And if you if you can't find anybody else, you call me tonight at uh, 929-477-2304, and we can hook up, and I can talk to you more about it. 929-477-2304. And, if, and, and by the way, tonight's lesson, if you have questions, you can call me tonight at 929-477-2304. Amen. So let's go. Let's have at it. Turn in your Bibles to Second um, Samuel chapter six, and we're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And I'm going to get my notes together. And by the way, uh, just like last week, I will grab my King James on you tonight. So don't uh, 
I'll, I'll read basically out of the NIV, but I will grab that King James, and I want to pull it closer to me. So I'll have to come looking for it later on. And we'll begin our reading tonight at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men, 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with, song, with songs and with harps, lyres, tamarines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because of the Lord's wrath, because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So here we find that David makes a move to bring the ark from Abinadad's house which we think is around Gibeah, just outside of Gibeah. And you, you, you understand Gibeah because Gibeah was Saul's home. And so they brought it from there to, um, and they were bringing it to Jerusalem. Now the first question that this uh, poses is, why is David intent on bringing the ark from its place in the place outside of Gibeah was actually Kiriath Jerim, and why is he? Why does he want to bring it from there and bring it to Jerusalem? Well, and and even more, why is this ark so important? We we last saw the ark being dropped off at um, at, at, at Abinadab's house having been given back to Israel because it was too hot to handle. 
for the Philistines. Remember, the Philistines had, had, had captured the ark in battle with Israel, and they, took the, and they took that ark back, and they had it in Ashdod, and I believe it's Ekron, and every place that ark was, that ark was causing them all kinds of problems. They put it in the temple of Dagon, and Dagon woke up, and his arms and everything was, was cut off, and he laying down on his face. And then they get it out of there, and, and the next thing you know, he, tumors break out, and, and they got what, what we discovered when we, were, when we were studying this in 1 Samuel was the bubonic plague break out, broke out everywhere, and people were dying, and so they shifted this thing from one city to the other, and finally they said, oh, we don't want none of this. How do we send it back? And they send it back with an offering. And when they sent it back, it was the miracle of the cows just moving away from their mothers and going down the road, and they went straight to Israel. Remember that story? If you don't, go, go back over to 1 Samuel chapter 4, 5, and 6. That's where you see that whole event t take place. Now, so why does he want this ark? I mean, David is trying to, to build a new administration, and he's just settling into the uh, uh, Jerusalem. Why is it important that the ark come to Jerusalem? And why does he want to get it, why does he want this to be one of the first things that he does? Well, one thing that you want to look at is, um, and I, I it's supposition. This is supposition. I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll tell you when it's supposition, and I'll tell you what's Bible fact. If you look up in 1 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 5, specifically at verse 21, it says uh, this was during the, the battle, that, uh, that, um, the first battle, when David asked God, do I go up against them, and how do I go up? And he says, attack them from the front. Remember that battle? It's in Second it's Samuel chapter 5. But anyway, it says, at the end of that battle, it says, the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Well, what some suppose is that the reason why he wanted to hurry up and get the ark was because he didn't want the Philistines to retaliate by attacking the place where the ark was and taking the ark from from Israel. Now, I don't I don't subscribe to that, and the reason why I don't subscribe to that is because the Philistines knew about that ark, and they knew what happened the last time they got their hands on that ark, and they had just been defeated by David. So why would they want to go bothering God's stuff a second time? I think they was kind of dumb, but I don't think they were dumb enough to do that. No, I think, and the Bible says, the Bible tells us that David is desirous of the presence of God because he wants to inquire of God. He wants not only himself to be able to inquire of God, but he wants the nation to turn their face toward God and begin to seek God. Now, where do you get that from? Well, turn over to, let's see, let's go to um, First Chronicles, because Chronicles is going to, and, and when you get to Chronicles, I want you to stay there tonight. Because, uh, stay over there, or put, put your finger or put a marker in that place, because Chronicles is going to tell us a lot about 
the reason, the, David's reasoning and, uh, behind what he's doing tonight. It's First Chronicles chapter 13. It says, David conferred, I'm, I'm reading it from verse 1. David conferred with each of his officers, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. He then said to the whole assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is the will of the Lord our God, let us send word far and wide to the rest of our brothers throughout the territories of Israel, and also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their towns and pasture lands to come and join us. Let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. So what we find out is that David is desirous of the people, all people, to be able to inquire of God. And what he's doing is he is setting up worship and he is setting up Jerusalem as the center of worship for all of Israel. So his reasoning is right there. He wants to be able to inquire of the Lord. But even more, to be able to inquire of the Lord, David also desires the presence of God. He wants the presence of God throughout Israel. He wants the presence of God specifically in Jerusalem. Now, what do you mean he wants the presence of God in Jerusalem? Well, let's turn over to Exodus chapter 25. And, and understand what this ark is now. Remember, I, and I don't have time to do it tonight, but the ark basically is the symbol representing God's presence on earth. The ark is the symbol that represents God's presence on earth. Turn to Exodus 25. Because God's made a promise here. And I know you're already there and y'all waiting for me to get there. Now, what I want you to do later on is I want you to start reading at verse 10 and go all the way to verse uh, 22. Go from 10 to 22. But I just want to read verse 22 because these first, these first uh, I guess, 21 verses basically talk about the construction of the ark itself. And I don't, want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to make this one point in verse 22. It says, There above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So this is the meeting place. When Moses is going to meet with God, it is before the ark of God and that cloud, that glowing cloud that represented the presence of God. 
And it's that glowing cloud where Moses is standing there talking face-to-face with God, literally where God is talking to him. And after he finishes talking to him, Moses has to put on the veil because his face is glowing from being in the presence of God. So the ark symbolizes God's presence on earth, and it is here that God has promised to meet with man. Now, after Moses, no man meets with God. As a matter of fact, uh, God gives an ordinance that basically says, don't come up in here in your time, time that you want to. You only come once a year, and only one man was al- uh, was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to make atonement for Israel and the nation. So David desires to be able to inquire of God. He wants to, the presence of God, and so it is necessary for him to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Now, everybody knows that, 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 that recognizes that this is God's throne on earth. This ark is God's throne on earth, the God who dwells between the cherubim who sits atop the mercy seat. I want to show you how they express this. Go to Psalms 80. Verse 1. Listen to the psalmist. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth. Go to uh, Psalm 99. Listen again how the psalmist describes him. The Lord reigns, verse 1, let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. So the Israelites recognize this ark as the throne of God. This is the dwelling place of God on earth. And they even, the, even in their sin, they understood the ark to be the dwelling place of God. Look at 1 Samuel 4.4. 4. Remember now, this is under Hopni and Phineas, and they're getting ready to go into battle. And They've lost once, and now they're going to bring the Lord in. And listen to how they say it. Verse 4. So the people sent men to Shiloh, and they brought back the ark of the covenant of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Now, that was a bad move for them, because not only does God rest, his presence rest atop the mercy seat, but inside of the ark. It is the covenant agreement that exists between Israel and God. And so why would you want to mess with something like that when you know that you've broken the covenant? And we know what happened to Israel when they brought that out. That's that battle that they lost to the Philistines. Remember that? So anyway, this is all of these are the reasons why it's necessary for David to bring the ark to Jerusalem, one, 
He wants to be able to inquire of the Lord. Two, he understands that this is the symbol of God on earth and that God dwells up on, on the mercy seat that, that sits atop the ark. And then finally, in the ark itself is the word of God given on Sinai. It is the agreement that was made between God and David. Oh, excuse me, God and the people of Israel. So that's why he desires to have that there. Now, that other, that other theory of that they didn't want the Philistines to get it, nice theory, but I, I, because the Bible doesn't necessarily say it, then I don't subscribe to it. It, it sounds nice. It, it makes for a nice story, but that's about it. That's all I can do with that. So David, David goes, and he goes down to get to the house of Abinadab to get the, um, to get the, the, the ark. Now, he takes 30,000 men with him, and I believe the reason why he takes 30,000 men with him, it was just in case they got into it with the Philistines. And so he had the finest warriors with them to make sure that they were able to bring the, the, uh, uh, the ark back to Jerusalem. But along the way, as the narrator tells us, something happened. The, as they got to uh, Nacon's house, the ox stumbled. Uzzah reaches his hand out to steady the, the, the cart, and God strikes Uzzah down. Now, wait a minute. Hold it. God, we desire you. We desire your presence. And all we're trying to do is bring the ark back to Jerusalem. So you could be with us, so the people could worship you, so the people could pray to you. Why in the world would you strike down Uzzah for just trying to help? Well, the Bible has an answer to that. God had established some rules and regulations. And sometimes when we ignore God's word, we wind up dying. God is nobody to be played with. His stuff is not to be played with. They should have known, as they say, to look at what you're doing. Because go back to um, 1 Samuel 6, 9. Remember, look at this. Go back to 1 Samuel 6, 9. I'll show you something. Then I'm going to take you someplace and show you exactly why Uzzah died. 1 Samuel 6, 9. My notes right? 619. I missed that one. There it is. Here. But God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. So these people, these are Israelites, and they get the ark back and they look into it. And the next thing you know, 70 of them are dead. And look what they say. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the, the Lord had dealt them. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, this holy God, 
to whom will the ark go up from here? And that's, see, they were like, oh, no, we don't want no parts of this thing. And so that's how it gets to Abinadab's house. They're like, uh-uh, no, no, we don't want none of this. We don't want none of this. You know, take this thing away from here. We love you, Lord, but take your stuff with you. But look at Numbers 4:15, and that'll tell you why. That'll tell you exactly why Uzzah died. Uh, Numbers chapter 4. And what I want you to do later on is, again, start reading at verse 4. And I'm taking a shortcut tonight so we can get through the material that we have to get to through. After Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, the Kohathites are to come to do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. The things that are in, one of the things that's in the tent of meeting is the ark. And you have to go back and read the design of the ark and you'll get, you'll get that in, um, in numbers. And what it, what it was is there were poles and rings on either side of the ark. And they were supposed to grab the poles and carry it by the poles on their shoulders. As a matter of fact, it was never to be put into a cart. Look, go over to number seven. Let me show you something. Look at verse four, and I'm going to have to read a little bit of that. Number 7, verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, accept these from them that they may be used in the work at the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites as each man's work requires. So Moses took the carts and oxen and gave them to the Levites. He gave two carts and four oxen to the Geshonites as their work required, and he gave four carts and eight oxen to the Merorites as their work required. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. Listen to this, verse 9. But Moses did not give any to the Kohathites because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things for which they were responsible. So now look at this again. So number one, they David puts this ark on a cart. Number two, he was told, and they were told already, don't touch this ark. And Uzzah touched the ark. And he died. And he even says that in, the, in, that, in that passage, go back to it, because I want you to show it. I want you to show you what he said. He said, Look at verse 7. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. That's exactly what it says. So this was an act of irreverence toward God. God had already said, don't touch it or you'll die. 
God's word does not come back void, but accomplishes his purpose. And he gave his word concerning that. Uzzah should have known better. Somebody should have told him. The word was there. It was in writing. And what happens? Mm-mm. He didn't handle it right. And so he died. So for all of us who for years have thought, boy, that was so unfair. God just broke out against him. No, he didn't just break out against him. He said, touch it and die. That's plain and simple. And so David is, David is angry now because he can't figure out, look, how am I going to get this back? And he's mad because, look, we were doing a good thing. But you were doing a good thing, David, but you were doing it without knowing how it was supposed to be done. And as a king, as we've discussed before, the king, one of the first obligations of the king, and we talked about it uh, last week, was he had to know the word. He was supposed to get a scroll, write the word out, and he was to stick, keep reading it and reading it, and that was a part of the written record. So David goes down there in his zeal, and he goes down and he takes the wrong folk with him. He's so concerned about being able to protect everything and so concerned and to get it done that he doesn't do it right. And he leaves that, he winds up leaving that ark at Obed-Edom's house, because David got to figure this thing out, because he's really desirous of the Lord. And so it says, after three, after three months, that now King David, I'm on verse 12 now, 612. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down, and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those, look at this verse 13. Tell you, David, to learn something quick, didn't he? When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. Let me stop right there for a second. So wait a minute. Why all of a sudden did David figure out, look, we better... Carry this thing up. Go back over. Remember I told you to stay with with uh, second, First Chronicles? Here. We don't have to guess. Go to First Chronicles chapter 15. David figures something out. See, when you're in the word of God, when you really desire God, this is why Bible study is so important. Because there are so many things that we are doing wrong this, that, that, that we could get right, especially those of us who desire to please God. If we learn how to get in our word and get before the Lord and ask the questions that need to be asked instead of just running off doing what we think is right. Because the Bible does tell us there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. There are so many things that we're doing right now that's just walking us right away from the path of God into the path of our own fleshly desires and is killing us. 
Look at look at this. Um, look at verse thirteen. It says this. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. David went back and he consulted the word and he found out, whoa, the reason why Uzzah died was because we had 30,000 of the wrong folk down there. We didn't bring the right guys with us. There are people assigned to do this work. Not anybody can do anything. God has a way of ordering things, and he wants it done the way he wants it done, period. And any time that they, we walk outside of the way God wants things done, we in trouble. We taking some stuff on ourselves that we might not want to take on ourselves. Go back and let me let me just read this. Uh, go back to stay up fifteen. Stay at fifteen and go to the first verse. It says, after David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David says, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. David understands and he's setting in place worship. He set, he's restoring worship throughout Israel. Let me say this. One of the things that we need to do is we need to examine our worship. We need to examine our worship and see, and see if this is the worship that God has prescribed. Are we worshiping in a manner worthy of holy God? The Bible tells us to enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Now, a lot of people think that they can just show up on Sunday morning any old kind of way and just walk in the door and just start hollering. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. You are not entering into his gates with thanksgiving. Because sometimes we think that thanksgiving is just giving thanks. No. Thanksgiving is an attitude. That word thanksgiving describes an attitude. And it's basically telling us, and this is just a little snippet of worship right here. I can't go all the way into worship and, and, and be true to this text. But thanksgiving is an attitude, and it's basically saying when you show up to worship, you ought to have a thankful attitude, not a thankful attitude. 
And I got news for you, and I have to confess and repent right now. It's a whole lot of Sunday mornings that I work into, walk into the temple of God, and I got a stank attitude. Some of us walk up in there like, Lord, you ought to be glad I'm here. Oh, guilty as charged. I'm not going to point my fingers at y'all for something I do. No, but if we are to enter worship properly, we ought to be have a thankful heart. That is one of the requirements of worship, of true worship. When you really love God and you really recognize what he's done and, and, and all that he is, your heart is immediately thankful. So what if you don't like some people up in there? So what if you don't like the fact that they ain't singing the songs you want? So what if you you halfway sleepy when you get there? Then don't go. But if you're going to worship, make sure you're going with a thankful heart and a mouthful of praise. Otherwise, stay home because you coming you ain't correct. The other the other thing that he says is. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, and who can stand in his holy place? And his answer, he that has clean hands and a pure heart, whose soul has not been lifted up to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. You see, the, it's cleanliness, it's holiness that's required to walk into the presence of God. And like I say, some of us walk up into worship and we ain't ready to worship. And we ain't stepping worship in the way that God wants us to worship. We, As a matter of fact, we coming up in there with an attitude that basically says, God ought to be thankful to me because here I am with my fine self. And boy, if he just broke out on us like he broke out on Uzzah, the first crispy critter is sitting right here with his hand up because I know that I come incorrect and I repent for, and I'm sorry for doing that right now. And God, we got to do better. We got to do a whole lot better. Let me keep pushing. So, go back to go back to we're back over at um, chapter six. Look at what it says. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Now, I want to flip back over, flip back over to um, uh, First Chronicles again. Go back there. I want to show you something. Go to... Go back to uh, chapter 15 again. Some, as, as you're going back to chapter 15, I just I just remember something. When they call it place Baal Uzzah, what that means is the Lord broke out against Uzzah. And so they commemorated that place. This is the place where the Lord broke out against Uzzah. Okay? That's what Baal Uzzah means, just in case. That I, I, I didn't bring that to you last time. Go down to Ooh. You're going to have to read on your own. From, I stopped here at verse 16. Read, read from verse 16 on your own all the way to the end. And I want to just show you how they came up. Uh, 
So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of a thousand went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant, I'm reading at verse 25, from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Seven bulls and seven rams were sacrificed. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the Ark, and as were the singers and the Kenavites who were in charge of the singing of the choirs. David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of rams, horns, and trumpets, and of cymbals, and the playing of lyres and harp, as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Now, look at those sacrifices. Now, the sacrifices that, they are, that they're giving are burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the burnt offerings that he is, that, that David is sacrificing are with a whole burnt offerings. They are whole burnt offerings. And the purpose of burnt offerings is to, to basically say that I am totally yours. It is an offering of dedication where David is dedicating Israel as well as himself as the total property. They are saying, I'm totally committed to you. And then the purpose of the peace offering uh, that they also gave was, we desire your presence. We desire to commune with you. We desire fellowship with you. And the burnt offering now was burnt completely. But the fellowship offering was different. The fellowship offering or the peace offering was the only offering that man could participate in. And people love peace offerings because peace offerings symbolize we're about to have a party. We are about to celebrate the present God in our presence, God in our midst. They are literally inviting God to come in and fellowship with them. And at the end of the fellowship, and this will be developed a little bit more in a couple of verses, at the end of the offering, a portion of the peace offering went to the priest, and the other portion went to the worshipers. And so these offerings are shared, and it is a big party. It is a big worshiping party. And now can you imagine in your mind as David is bringing the card up and he's bringing it up right and he's inviting, he's dedicating Israel and himself to the Lord and he's inviting the presence of the Lord into the lives of all of the Israelites and they're preparing for this great meal that as David celebrates God and his arrival into Israel and Jerusalem. Wow, isn't that something? Look, go back, go back, go back, go back. Let's let's go. What was that? Twelve? Okay, thirteen. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fatted calf. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of a trumpet. 
As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David is leading worship, and he is, as they say, when, when the Lord says that he doesn't just want a piece of us, he wants all of us. He says, love the Lord with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And there is David showing his love for God as he celebrates before God and asks him to come into his, his presence because he desires his presence, and he's dancing all over the place. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place, verse 17, inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. One of the things about being in the presence of God and sharing that fellowship meal with God is that it inspires you to welcome more in, but it also inspires you. Worship inspires giving because you want to make sure everybody is at God's party. Everybody is a part of God's great celebration that they're in the presence of God. And so David basically goes around and he says, everybody, get in there. Get, get in on this. Get in on this. And he makes a way for them. Now, I'm going to read the rest of it, and pretty much everything is, is self-explanatory, because I need to take the last few minutes to show you something else in this passage. When David returned home to bless his household, worship makes you want to bless, don't it? Worship makes you want to bless. He's coming to bless his household. Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. David basically says, I'm not going to let anybody stop me from worshiping God, because I know God has done a wonderful thing in my life. God chose me. And I'm going to worship him, and I don't care what folks think. You know, sometimes we go to church, and, you know, I'm, again, another one of the things I'm guilty of. I'm just cool, or I'm too dignified, or I ain't doing this and I ain't doing that. It don't take all this, and it don't take all that. But when you realize how good God has been to you, I don't care if you sit next to me in a, in a brand-new Brooks Brothers suit. How does song go? When I... Think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me. Oh, man, please, come on. Step off. Take your sedity and go someplace else. I'm, 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 I'm going to show you how to dance. We are inspired to worship, but we have to do everything the right way. 
And in these last few minutes, I want to tell you something that some of us need to understand that just as David had to find out how to get before the Lord and how to worship God and how to get into the presence of God, we have to find the same thing. And Jesus, Jesus shows us the way. He says, I am the way. Go to John 14. Go to John 14. And I, 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 could, I could recite this by heart, but I would rather, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. And we just got a couple of minutes and so I have to move real fast. John chapter 14. I want to use, uh, and then while we're doing that, just to save time, and I'm not going to be able to explain this this week, but go over to uh, uh, go over to Hebrews 10. I got some more for you, but I'm going to give you what I can tonight because of time. John chapter 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The way to worship, the way to get into the presence of God is through Jesus. Jesus prepared the way for us to get to the Father at Calvary. Sin separated us, and Jesus died and paid our sin penalty, and the veil in the temple was rent, and we can now go into the presence of God through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 10, real quick. Get over there as quick as you can. Oh, there's so much more. And if this should just wet your whistle and make you go in there and find the rest of it yourself. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us, through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he whose promise is faithful And let us consider how we may spur one another on on good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is so much more that I can go to to show you that Jesus, our high priest, Jesus, our king, Jesus who tells us that he is the way, brings us into the presence of God that we might have fellowship with him, that we might be able to to come into his presence. The Bible teaches us we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but has been tempted at all points and yet without sin. Therefore, let us boldly go into the throne of grace where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. We, like David, know how to get into the presence of God. We can get into the presence of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ought to go thankful 
Why did David that ark? He wanted that ark because he wanted the presence of God, and he wanted fellowship with God, and he wanted to be the choir of God. We have that same privilege today through Jesus our Lord and Savior. Well, that's about all I have time for tonight. Let's pray, and I'll see. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come into your presence. And we know how to come the right way. We know we don't have to come with a whole bunch of, of offerings because Jesus is our offering. He's our peace offering. He's our sin offering. He's our fellowship offering. He is all the offering that we need. We don't have to come trying to bribe you or anything like that. We come in the name of Jesus. We come with thankful hearts. We come with mouths filled with praise because we desire your presence. We desire, O oh God, for to be able to bow before you and worship you as our king. We desire your presence as our father. And so we thank you for providing the way. We bless you tonight. Now, O oh God, we know that there's still more that we can learn from this passage, that we can learn from your word. So we pray, O oh God, that you would stimulate our hearts, that you would stimulate our appetites, and that you would make us Oh, God, drive us into your word, drive us into your presence, that we might know you in the power of your resurrection. We bless you, oh, God, tonight for this time in your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that has led us into truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that's it for tonight, and we bless God for each one of you, and we pray that this word has been uh, just a, a wonderful time. Thank you, too, Sharon. Uh, that it's been a wonderful time for you as it has been for me. And let's make sure that we go before God properly uh, because Jesus has done his part. And let's make sure that we have attitudes of gratitude when we go to worship and mouths filled with praise. Bless you and have a wonderful evening. And I will see you on next uh, Wednesday. God willing and the creek don't rise. Bless you. Have a good evening.